Section three of Evelina's Garden by Mary E. Wilkins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Bologna Times. This young Evelina, by the fine dignity which had been born with her, and not acquired by precept and example, by the sweetly formal diction which seemed her native tongue, had filled him with awe. Now, when he thought she was angered with him, he felt beneath her lady feet, his nostrils choked with the spiritual dust of humiliation. He went forward blindly. The dusk had deepened. From either side of the road, from the mysterious gloom of the bushes, came the twangs of the katydids, like some coarse rustic quarrelers, each striving for the last word in a dispute not even dignified by excess of passion. Suddenly, somebody jostled him. To his own side of the path. That you, Thomas? Where you been? said a voice in his ear. That you, father? Down to the post office. Who was that you was talking with back there? Miss Evelina Leonard. That girl that's staying there? To the old squire's? Yes. The son tried to move on, but his father stood before him dumbly for a minute. I must be going, father. I've got to work on my sermon, Thomas said impatiently. Wait a minute, said his father. I got something to say to you, Thomas, as this is as good a time to say it as any. There ain't anybody around. I don't know as you'll thank me for it. But mother said the other day that she thought you'd kind of an idea. She said you asked her if she thought it would be anything out of the way for you to go up to the squire's to make a call. Mother thinks you can step in anywheres, but I don't know. I know your book learning and your being a minister. Has set you up a great deal higher than your mother and me and any of our folks, and I feel as if you were good enough for anybody, as far as that goes. But that ain't all. Some folks have different starting points in this world, and they see things different. And when they do, it ain't much use trying to make them walk alongside and see things alike. Their eyes have got different cants, and they ain't able to help it. Now this girl, she's related to the old squire. And she's been brought up different, and she started ahead, even if her father did lose all his property. She ain't never eat in the kitchen, nor been scared to set down in the parlor. And satin and velvet and silver spoons and cream pots ain't never looked anything out of the common to her, and they always will to you. No matter how many such things you may live to have, they'll always get a little the better of ye. She'll be the way above 'em, and you won't. No matter how hard you try, some ideas can never mix, and when ideas can't mix, folks can't. I never said they could," returned Thomas shortly. "I can't stop to talk any longer, Father. I must go home." No, you wait a minute, Thomas. I'm going to say out what I started to, and then I shan't ever bring it up again. What I was coming at was this: I wanted to warn you a little. You mustn't set too much store. By little things that you think mean considerable when they don't, looks don't count for much, and I want you to remember it, and not be upset by 'em. Thomas gave a great start and colored high. I'd like to know what you mean, father," he cried sharply. Nothing. I don't mean nothing. Only I'm older than you, and it's come in my way to know some things, and it's fitting you should profit by it. A young woman's looks at you don't count for much. I don't suppose she knows why she gives 'em herself half the time. They ain't like us. It's best you should make up your mind to it. If you don't, you may find it out by the hardest. That's all. 
I ain't never going to bring this up again. I'd like to know what you mean, father. Thomas's voice shook with embarrassment and anger. I ain't going to say anything more about it, replied the old man. Mary Ann Pease and Arabella Mann are both in the settin' room with your mother. I thought I'd tell ye in case ye didn't want to see em and wanted to go to work on your sermon. Thomas made an impatient ejaculation as he strode off. When he reached the large white house where he lived, he skirted it carefully. The chirping trouble of girlish voices came from the open sitting room window, and he caught a glimpse of a smooth brown head and a high shell comb in front of the candlelight. The young minister tiptoed in the back door and across the kitchen to the back stairs. The sitting room door was open, and the candlelight streamed out, and the treble voices rose high. Thomas, advancing through the dusky kitchen with cautious steps, encountered suddenly a chair in the dark corner by the stairs and just saved himself from falling. There was a startled outcry from the sitting room, and his mother came running into the kitchen with a candle. Who is it? she demanded valiantly. Then she started and gasped as her son confronted her. He shook a furious warning fist at the sitting room door and his mother and edged towards the stairs. She followed him close. Hadn't you better just step in a minute? she whispered. Them girls have been here an hour, and I know they're waiting to see you. Thomas shook his head fiercely and swung himself around the corner into the dark crook of the back stairs. His mother thrust the candle into his hand. Take this, or you'll break your neck on them stairs, she whispered. Thomas, stealing up the stairs like a cat, heard one of the girls call to his mother. Is it robbers, Miss Merriam? Want us to come and help tackle him? And he fairly shuddered for Evelina's gentle lady speech was still in his ears, and this rude girlish call seemed to jar upon his sensibilities. The idea of any girl screeching out like that, he muttered, and if he had carried speech as far as his thought, he would have added, when Evelina is a girl. He was so angry that he did not laugh when he heard his mother's answer back in those conclusive tones of hers that were wont to silence all argument. It ain't anything. Don't be scared. I'm coming right back. Mrs. Merriam scorned subterfuges. She took always a silent stand in a difficulty and let people infer what they would. When Mary Ann Pease inquired if it was the cat that had made the noise, she asked if her mother had finished her blue and white counterpane. The two girls waited a half hour longer. Then they went home. What do you suppose made that noise out in the kitchen? asked Arabella Mann of Marianne Pease the minute they were out of doors. I don't know, replied Marianne Pease. She was a broad-backed young girl and looked like a matron as she hurried along in the dusk. Well, I know what I think it was, said Arabella Mann, moving ahead with sharp jerks of her little dark body. What? It was him. You don't mean... I think it was Thomas Merriam, and he was trying to get up the back stairs unbeknownst to anybody, and he run into something. What for? Because he didn't want to see us. Now, Arabella Mann, I don't believe it. He's always real pleasant to me. Well, I do believe it, and I guess he'll know it when I set foot in that house again. I guess he'll find out I didn't go there to see him. He needn't feel so fine 
if he is the minister his folks ain't any better than mine and we've got enough sight handsomer furniture in our parlor did you see how the tallow had all run down over the candles yes i did she gave that candle she carried out in the kitchen to him too mother says she wasn't never any kind of a housekeeper hush arabella here he is coming now but it was not thomas it was his father advancing through the evening with his son's gait and carriage when the two girls discovered that one tittered out quite audibly and they scuttled past they were not rivals they simply walked faithfully side by side in pursuit of the young minister giving him as it were an impartial choice there were even no heart-burnings between them one always confided in the other when she supposed herself to have found some slight favor in thomas's sight and indeed the young minister could scarcely bow to one upon the street unless she flew to the other with the news thomas merriam himself was aware of all this devotion on the part of the young women of his flock and it filled him with a sort of angry shame he could not have told why but he despised himself for being the object of their attention more than he despised them his heart sank at the idea of evelina's discovering it what would she think of him if she knew all those young women haunted his house and lagged after meeting on the chance of getting a word from him suppose she should see their eyes upon his face in meeting time and decipher their half-unconscious boldness as he had done against his will once evelina had looked at him even as the older evelina had looked at his father and all other looks of maidens seemed to him like profanations of that even although he doubted afterwards that he had rightly interpreted it full it had seemed to him of that tender maiden surprise and wonder of that love that knows not itself and sees its own splendor for the first time in another's face and flees at the sight it had happened once when he was coming down the aisle after the sermon and evelina had met him at the door of her pew but she had turned her head quickly and her soft curls flowed over her red cheek and he doubted ever after if he had read the look aright when he had gotten the courage to speak to her again and she had met him with the gentle coldness which he had learned of her lady aunt and her teacher in boston his doubt was strong upon him the next sunday he looked not her way at all he even tried faithfully from day to day to drive her image from his mind with prayer and religious thoughts but in spite of himself he would lapse into dreams about her as if borne by a current of nature too strong to be resisted and sometimes upon being awakened from them as he sat over his sermon with the ink drying on his quill by the sudden outburst of treble voices in his mother's sitting-room below the fancy would seize him that possibly these other young damsels took fond liberties with him in their dreams as he with evelina and he resented it with a fierce maidenliness of spirit although he was a man the thought that possibly they over their spinning or their quilting had in their hearts the image of himself with fond words upon his lips and fond looks in his eyes filled him with shame and rage although he took the same liberty with the delicately haughty maiden evelina but thomas merriam was not given to undue appreciation of his own fascination 
as was proved by his ready discouragement in the case of Evelina. He had the knowledge of his conquests forced upon his understanding until he could no longer evade it. Every day were offerings laid upon his shrine of pound cakes and flaky pies and loaves of white bread and cups of jelly, whereby the culinary skill of his devotees might be proved. Silken purses and beautiful socks knitted with fancy stitches and holy bookmarks for his Bible and even a wonderful bed quilt and a fine linen shirt with hem-stitched bands poured in upon him. He burned with angry blushes when his mother, smiling meaningly, passed them over to him. "'Put them away, mother. I don't want them,' he would growl out, in a distress that was half comic and half pathetic. He would never taste of the tempting viands which were brought to him. "'How you act, Thomas,' his mother would say. She was secretly elated by these feminine libations upon the altar of her son. They did not grate upon her sensibilities, which were not delicate. She even tried to assist two or three of the young women in their designs. She would often praise them and their handiwork to her son, and in this she was aided by an old woman aunt of hers who lived with the family. Nancy Winslow is as handsome a girl as I ever set eyes on, and I never seen any nicer sewin', Mrs. Merriam said, after the advent of the linen shirt and she held it up to the light admiringly. Just look at that hem-stitchin', she said. I guess whoever made that shirt calculated t would do for a weddin' one, said old Aunt Betty Green, and Thomas made an exclamation and went out of the room, tingling all over with shame and disgust. Thomas don't act natural, said the old woman, glancing after him through her iron-bound spectacles. I don't know what's got into him, returned his mother. Mebbe they follow him up a little too close, said Aunt Betty. I don't know as I should have ventured on a shirt when I was a gal. I made a satin vest once for Joshua, but that don't seem quite as pented as a shirt. It didn't scare Joshua, no how. He asked me to have him the next week. Well, I don't know, said Mrs. Merriam again. I kind of wish Thomas would settle on somebody, for I'm pestered most to death with em and I feel as if I was kind of mean taking all these things into the house. They about kept ye in sweet cake, ain't they, lately? Yes, but I don't feel as if it was just right for us to eat it up when it was brought for Thomas, but he won't touch it. I can't see as he has the least idea of any one of them. I don't believe Thomas has ever seen anybody he wanted for a wife. Well, he's got the pick of em a settin' their caps right in his face, said Aunt Betty. Neither of them dreamed how the young man, sleeping and eating and living under the same roof, beloved of them since he entered the world, holding himself coldly aloof from this crowd of half-innocently, half-boldly ardent young women, had set up for himself his own divinity of love, before whom he consumed himself in vain worship. His father suspected and that was all, and he never mentioned the matter again to his son. After Thomas had spoken to Evelina, the weeks went on, and they never exchanged another word, and their eyes never met, but they dwelt constantly within each other's thoughts, and were ever present to each other's spiritual vision. Always, as the young minister bent over his sermon paper, 
laboriously tracing out with sputtering quill his application of the articles of the orthodox faith evelina's blue eyes seemed to look out at him between the stern doctrines like the eyes of an angel and he could not turn the pages of the holy writ unless he found some passage therein which to his mind treated directly of her setting forth her graces like a prophecy the fairest among women read thomas merriam and nodded his head while his heart leapt with satisfied delight of all its fancies at the image of his love's fair and gentle face her price is far above rubies read thomas merriam and he nodded his head again and saw evelina shining as with gold and pearls more precious than all the jewels of the earth in spite of all his efforts when thomas merriam studied the scriptures in those days he was more nearly touched by those old human hearts which throbbed down to his through the ages welding the memories of their old loves to his living one until they seemed to prove its eternity than by the messianic prophecies often he spent hours upon his knees but arose with evelina's face before his very soul in spite of all and as for evelina she tended the flowers in the older evelina's garden with her poor cousin whose own love dreams had been illustrated as it were by the pinks and lilies blooming around them when they had all gone out of her heart and thomas merriam's half-bold half-imploring eyes looked up at her out of every flower and stung her heart like bees poor young evelina feared much lest she had offended thomas and yet her own maiden decorum had been offended by him and she had offended it herself and she was faint with shame and distress when she thought of it how had she been so bold and shameless as to give him that look at the meeting-house and how had he been so cruel as to accost her afterwards she told herself she had done right for the maintenance of her own maiden dignity and yet she feared lest she had angered him and hurt him suppose he had been fretted by her coolness she thought and then a great wave of tender pity went over her heart and she would almost have spoken to him of her own accord but then she would reflect how he continued to write such beautiful sermons and prove so clearly and logically the tenets of the faith and how could he do that with a mind in distress scarcely could she herself tend the flower-beds as she should nor set her embroidery stitches finely and evenly she was so ill at ease it must be that thomas had not given the matter an hour's worry since he continued to do his work so faithfully and well and then her own heart would be sorer than ever with the belief that his was happy and at rest although she would chide herself for it and yet this young evelina was a philosopher and an analyst of human nature in a small way and she got some slight comfort out of a shrewd suspicion that the heart of a man might love and suffer on a somewhat different principle from the heart of a woman it may be thought evelina sitting idle over her embroidery with far-away blue eyes that a man's heart can always turn a while from love to other things as weighty and serious although he be just as fond while a woman's heart is always fixed one way by loving and cannot be turned unless it breaks and it may be wise thought young evelina else how could the state be maintained and governed battles for independence be fought and even souls be saved and the gospel carried to the heathen 
if men could not turn from the concerns of their own hearts more easily than women women should be patient thought evelina and considered that if they suffer tis due to the lot which a wise providence has given them and yet tears welled up in her earnest blue eyes and fell over her fair cheeks and wet the embroidery when the elder evelina was not looking as she seldom was the elder evelina was kind to her young cousin but there were days when she seemed to dwell alone in her own thoughts apart from the whole world and she seldom spoke either to evelina or her old servant man young evelina trying to atone for her former indiscretion and establish herself again on her height of maiden reserve in thomas merriam's eyes sat resolutely in the meeting-house of a sabbath day with her eyes cast down and after service she glided swiftly down the aisle and was out of the door before the young minister could much more than descend the pulpit stairs unless he ran an indecorous race and young evelina never at twilight strolled up the road in the direction of thomas merriam's house where she might quite reasonably hope to meet him since he was wont to go to the store when the evening stage-coach came in with the mail from boston instead she paced the garden paths or when there was not too heavy a dew rambled across the fields and there was also a lane where she loved to walk whether or not thomas merriam suspected this or had ever seen as he passed the mouth of the lane the flutter of maidenly draperies in the distance it so happened that one evening he also went a-walking there and met evelina he had entered the lane from the highway and she from the fields at the head so he saw her first afar off and could not tell fairly whether her light muslin skirt might not be only a white flowering bush for since his outlook upon life had been so full of evelina he had found that often the most common and familiar things would wear for a second a look of her to startle him and many a time his heart had leapt at the sight of a white bush ahead stirring softly in the evening wind and he had thought it might be she now he said to himself impatiently that this was only another fancy but soon he saw that it was indeed evelina in a light muslin gown with a little lace kerchief on her head his handsome young face was white his lips twitched nervously but he reached out and pulled a spray of white flowers from a bush and swung it airily to hide his agitation as he advanced as for evelina when she first espied thomas she started and half turned as if to go back then she held up her white kerchiefed head with gentle pride and kept on when she came up to thomas she walked so far to one side that her muslin skirt was in danger of catching and tearing on the bushes and she never raised her eyes and not a flicker of recognition stirred her sweet pale face as she passed him but thomas started as if she had struck him and dropped his spray of white flowers and could not help a smothered cry that was half a sob as he went on knocking blindly against the bushes he went a little way then he stopped and looked back with his piteous hurt eyes and evelina had stopped also and she had the spray of white flowers which he had dropped in her hand and her eyes met his then she let the flowers fall again and clapped both her little hands to her face to cover it and turned to run but thomas was at her side and he put out his hand and held her softly by her white arm oh 
he panted. I did not mean to be too presuming and offend you. I crave your pardon. Evelina had recovered herself. She stood with her little hands clasped and her eyes cast down before him, but not a quiver stirred in her pale face, which seemed turned to marble by this last effort of her maiden pride. I have nothing to pardon, said she. It was I whose bold behavior, unbecoming a modest and well-trained young woman, gave rise to what seemed like presumption on your part. The sense of justice was strong within her, but she made her speech haughtily and primly, as if she had learned it by rote from some maiden schoolmistress, and pulled her arm away and turned to go. But Thomas's words stopped her. Not unbecoming if it came from the heart, said he, brokenly, scarcely daring to speak, and yet not daring to be silent. Then Evelina turned on him with a sudden strange pride that lay beneath all other pride, and was of a nobler and truer sort. Do you think I would have given you the look that I did if it had not come from my heart? she demanded. What did you take me to be? False and a jilt? I may be a forward young woman who has overstepped the bounds of maidenly decorum, and I shall never get over the shame of it, but I am truthful, and I am no jilt. The brilliant color flamed out on Evelina's cheeks. Her blue eyes met Thomas's with that courage of innocence and nature which dares all shame. But it was only for a second. The tears sprang into them. I beg you to let me go home, she said pitifully. But Thomas caught her in his arms and pressed her troubled maiden face against his breast. Oh, I love you so. He whispered, "I love you so, Evelina, and I was afraid you were angry with me for it, and I was afraid," she faltered, half weeping and half shrinking from him, lest you were angry with me for betraying the state of my feelings when you could not return them. And even then, she used that gentle formality of expression with which she had been taught by her maiden preceptors to veil decorously her most ardent emotions. And in truth, her training stood her in good stead in other ways, for she presently commanded, with that mild dignity of hers which allowed of no remonstrance, that Thomas should take away his arm from her waist and give her no more kisses for that time. It is not becoming for any one," said she, "and much less for a minister of the gospel. And as for myself, I know not what Mistress Perkins would say to me. She has a mind much above me, I fear. Mistress Perkins is enjoying her mind in Boston," said Thomas Merriam, with the laugh of a triumphant young lover. But Evelina did not laugh. It might be well for both you and me if she were here," said she seriously. However, she tempered a little her. Decorous following of Mistress Perkins's precepts, and she and Thomas went hand in hand up the lane and across the fields. There was no dew that night, and the moon was full. It was after nine o'clock when Thomas left her at the gate in the fence which separated Evelina Adams's garden from the field, and watched her disappear between the flowers. The moon shone full on the garden. Evelina walked as it were over a silver dapple. Which her light gown seemed to brush away and dispel for a moment. The bushes stood in sweet, mysterious clumps of shadow. Evelina had almost reached the house and was close to the great althea bush, which cast a wide circle of shadow 
when it seemed suddenly to separate and move into life. The elder Evelina stepped out from the shadow of the bush. Is that you, Evelina? she said in her soft, melancholy voice, which had in it a nervous vibration. Yes, cousin Evelina. The elder Evelina's pale face, drooped about with gray curls, had an unfamiliar, almost uncanny look in the moonlight, and might have been the sorrowful visage of some marble nymph, lovelorn with unceasing grace. Who was with you? she asked. The minister, replied young Evelina. Did he meet you? He met me in the lane, cousin Evelina. And he walked home with you across the field? Yes, cousin Evelina. Then the two entered the house, and nothing more was said about the matter. Young Evelina and Thomas Merriam agreed that their affection was to be kept secret for a while. For, said young Evelina, I cannot leave cousin Evelina yet a while, and I cannot have her pestered with thinking about it, at least before another spring, when she has the garden fairly growing again. That is nearly a whole year. It is August now, said Thomas, half reproachfully, and he tightened his clasp of Evelina's slender fingers. I cannot help that, replied Evelina. It is for you to show Christian patience more than I, Thomas. If you could have seen poor cousin Evelina as I have seen her through the long winter days when her garden is dead and she has only the few plants in her window left, When she is not watering and tending them, she sits all day in the window and looks out over the garden and the naked bushes and the withered flowered stalks. She used not to be so, but would read her Bible and good books and busy herself somewhat over fine needlework, and at one time she was compiling a little floral book, giving a list of the flowers and poetical selections and sentiments. appropriate to each. That was her pastime for three winters, and it is now nearly done, but she has given that up, and all the rest, and sits there in the window, and grows older and feebler until spring. It is only I who can divert her mind by reading aloud to her and singing, and sometimes I paint the flowers she loves the best on cardboard with watercolors. I have a poor skill in it, but cousin Evelina can tell which flower I have tried to represent, and it pleases her greatly. I have even seen her smile. No, I cannot leave her, nor even pester her with telling her before another spring, and you must wait, Thomas, said young Evelina. And Thomas agreed, as he was likely to do, all which she proposed, which touched not his own sense of right and honor. Young Evelina gave Thomas one more kiss for his earnest pleading, and that night wrote out the tale in her journal. It may be that I overstepped the bounds of maidenly decorum, wrote Evelina, but my heart did so entreat me, and no blame whatever did she lay upon Thomas. End of section three.